When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The parties are divided in terms of the effect that the stimulus is going to have. This inflation debate has really been heating up the effect of what the Biden administration is spending on political capital. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. A group of centrists are the key senators to watch. Joe Biden, his number one focus in addition to the COVID health crisis is jobs. I don't think we have red roads and blue roads, and that's the way we're looking at this. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Stimulus heads to the Senate. Will it have any last-minute hijinks before reaching President Biden's desk? Meanwhile, Senator Elizabeth Warren wants to tax millionaires and the 1%. Elsewhere, President Xi Jinping in China mobilizes China for a tech revolution to cut dependence on the West and Vice President Kamala Harris speaks exclusively at Bloomberg City Lab, City Lab Global Cities event. Lots to get through. We begin tonight uh, with the big story, and that is the stimulus deal nears the Senate. And we've got exclusive sound on this from Vice President Kamala Harris. She spoke earlier today at Bloomberg City Lab Global City Summit, and she says that the U.S. has the imperative to strengthen infrastructure in our cities and create good union jobs. But first, they need to finish passing the stimulus. Here's the sound on that. The president and I are pushing the United States Congress to finish passing our American Rescue Plan so cities have the resources they need to innovate and replicate the best ideas. This plan includes critical support for those communities that have been hardest hit, keeping small businesses open and first responders on the job. I want to welcome into this conversation Congressman John Katko. He is a Republican representing New York's 24th Congressional District. He is also the top Republican on the House Committee on Homeland Security and a member of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you here on an important policy news day. Is stimulus going to pass in the Senate? Well, I think in, in some way, shape, or form, I think it will. Um, it's not going to look like it did but, but when it came out of the House, and particularly with the uh, economy crushing $15 minimum wage, which would lead to 1.4 million job losses. That's not a stimulus. So with that take, being taken out of the equation, I know that there's some horse trading going on in the Senate right now, and I look forward to see what the final product is, and I'm going to keep an open mind on it. 
You know, and, and just to, to move beyond this in terms of the infrastructure, and you've been really at the forefront of a conversation on nonpartisan talk about enhancing digital infrastructure. You know, we're thinking, of course, about the recent solar wind tax. You've said cybersecurity needs to be a nonpartisan issue. As we look beyond the stimulus talks and into the summer and, dare I say, the fall even, is infrastructure something that has, uh, is there room for infrastructure spending even after the stimulus advance? Well, a couple, you could touch on a couple different things. With respect to cybersecurity, which is at the forefront of what we're trying to do on Homeland Security, uh, I think that there is bipartisan support to provide more funding and give uh, the Department of Homeland Security and their cyber uh, cybersecurity arm called CISA uh, the funding and the, and the manpower they need to be able to better deal with hacks like the solar winds. It's one of the most devastating uh, cyber espionage campaigns we've ever experienced. So, yeah, for sure, we need to do it with that. And I'm encouraged by some of the things I'm hearing out of the Senate about additional spending and funding for the system agency and, and giving them the tools they need to fight back. We're, we're fighting an arms race where they're outspending us uh, to a fairly well, and we, we need to catch up. So that's well, one so side. The other side is infrastructure, and I'm going to just fix real quick. Um, the highway bill is a, is a perfect opportunity for us to fix it once and for all so roads and bridges can get back to where they need to be, and I'm all about trying to help that. You know, and, and to your point, I mean, we go from cybersecurity and solar winds with the Russians, but, you know, uh, you can't not talk about China here either. I mean, you released a statement just the other week in response to President Biden's executive orders uh, in, in relation to studying domestic supply chain uh, to, to protect America from their reliance uh, upon uh, China, for example, on a host of different critical infrastructure supply chains. But you've said you'd like to see DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, at the forefront of this conversation. Why is that important, Congressman? Well, we have a first of all, China is over the next 50 years will be the biggest threat we have uh, to our democracy, period. And I'm not trying to be uh, engaged in hyperbole here. It's just a fact. And uh, there is several things that we're doing with respect to homeland security trying to keep our homeland safe, cybersecurity is preeminent, but that's not the only thing. Supply chains, um, trying to get um, some, resili some resiliency within the United States from when we have calamities and catastrophes like a pandemic where we don't have to rely on a foreign actor like China, who can be somewhat unreliable. But we also have these things that are called uh, work, work uh, withholding release orders where we're products coming into our country. We've got to make sure they're not made with slave labor, they're not, they're not made uh, in an unfair manner. We have a tremendous number of these WRO cases pending right now because of what China's doing in your northwest provinces. They are literally engaging in genocide, as defined by the United Nations, to a group of uh, ethnic Muslims uh, that are referred to as the Uyghurs. And um, one to three million people are interred in concentration camps. There are forced sterilization. There's forced abortions. And they're producing products that are being sent into the United States. So... The, the problem going forward is quite substantial with China, and, and unless we take a tougher stance on their human rights violations, which are despicable, or, and their, uh, their cybersecurity um, attacks, we are going to have a real problem going forward. Now, SolarWinds was a Russian-generated attack, but make no mistake about it, China has engaged in an awful lot of cyber espionage in our country, and we have to fight back against them and need to take a stronger stance, especially when they're committing acts of genocide. 
Congressman John Katko is with us. He is a Republican from New York. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal right now. She mobilizes China for tech revolution to cut dependence on the West. Bloomberg News reports, for U.S. politicians, China's potential to dominate sensitive, cutting-edge technologies poses one of the biggest geopolitical threats of the next few decades. President Xi Jinping is similarly worried that the U.S. will block China's rise and this week will unveil plans for greater self-sufficiency just to your point there, Congressman, it looks like she is responding to the uh, shift that the U.S. is making and hoping to bring Europe back on board uh, and, and to operate from one geopolitical playbook, especially as it relates to tech. Well, listen, we want to live in a peaceful world, Americans, but we are also the leaders of the free world. And we have to recognize the fact that China wants to dominate the world. And that's their 100-year plan. That's their 50-year plan. That's their plan going forward. They see cybersecurity and cyber espionage as a very key part of that. They see uh, embedding uh, people posing as students in our country, like they've been doing for years, as a way to uh, collect as much information and, and espionage as they can for us, for them rather, and bring it back to their countries. And here's a concern I have, and um, I'm trying to bring more light to this, and I appreciate the opportunity to do so here. Uh, they are literally actively engaged in genocide. The Dutch government has recognized it. The Canadian government has recognized it. I'm trying to get the United States government to recognize it and make a significant statement that we're not going to stand for it by uh, having President Biden ask that the 2022 Winter Olympics get moved to a, a site where they're not engaged in genocide. Because I want any of you to tell me when's the last time we had an Olympics where they were actively engaged in genocide in the, in the host country. And, so, and, you know, we, and we need to be we need to be leaders in that regard. You've been out front on this. You and your Republican colleagues and at least one Democrat in the House of Representatives are calling on the Biden administration to, to, to push for the Beijing games to be held elsewhere. Have you spoken directly with President Biden about this or any other members of the Biden administration? I'm hoping to. I, I put in, I put in uh, a request to speak with them. It's been very difficult to have a, a, a back and forth with them thus far, but I, I've had a history of President Biden. He's he went to law school, the same law school I went to here in Syracuse. He still has family here from his first wife, who was tragically killed, um, the Hunter family in Auburn, which is near here. So he comes back here quite often. I'm hoping to engage with him on this. This is a, I think this is a point in time we really think about it. If, we, if, if those Olympics go on as planned next year and you have uh, people getting killed in, 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 in concentration camps and being, uh, in them committing acts of genocide on a, on a massive scale, and we don't do anything about it, we're giving them a stamp of approval by being there and letting them showcase what um, China is about without highlighting what China is really about. And to I me, that's it something that we have to stand up. I want to bring into this conversation Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis. He, of course, is the former uh, campaign manager to John McCain's presidential campaign. Rick, I know you have questions. Yeah, uh, Congressman, uh, I, you can only imagine what John McCain would be saying right now about your comments about China. I mean, he was always looking for a fight there because I think long time ago he realized this was not a uh, country that was going to actually be our partner, uh, but more a competitor. Uh, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about this Olympics approach because, I mean, look, arguably Russia, when they hosted the Winter Olympics, uh, were no uh, uh, ingenues in, in the category of uh, genocide. And, and China has uh, already hosted an Olympics, and arguably the Igers were uh, repressed at least and, and probably genocidically attacked at most. Uh, where do we draw the line on sort of the standard for 
the Olympic Games and how they relate to the countries that have hosted them. I mean, we can go all the way back to Nazi Germany hosting the Olympics. Uh, it, it seems to be a pretty spotty record. It is. And um, I guess I look at it more fundamentally. Uh, there was, at best, sketchy information back uh, when the last Olympics were held in, in China. It's clear now. It's absolutely clear now that China is engaging in genocide with the Uyghurs in the northwest province. It's just it's a fact. And that's why I think about it. The two most dominant countries in Winter Olympics uh, are, the, are the Dutch and the Canadians. And they're both saying that China is engaged in genocide and we should move the Olympics. So that should tell you something that, that is, it has been elevated. And I, I guess I just challenge, challenge you all to tell me when's the last time a country hosted an Olympics when they were actively engaging in genocide. I mean, uh, you may say that maybe back when uh, uh, Hitler had it in 36, but, you know, the genocidal tendencies really accelerated uh, uh, at the, during the advent of World War II. So um, uh, I, I just don't see how legitimizing it. And if we don't stand up to China at some point, they're going to run over us and run over the rest of the world. We know what their cyber espionage capabilities that they're um, – they're capable of doing significant damage to us already. We know by their spying capabilities and their and their uh, Confucius project, if you will, that they're infiltrating the United States universities and they're routinely stealing information from us and technologies from us. So uh, we want them to be a good citizen of the, uh, of the international community, but not at all costs. And I think if we turn a blind eye to this, it will only embolden them more. And um, I, I'm not saying cancel the Olympics. No, I'm saying we are quick enough, we can move them and have them somewhere else in a country that's not actively engaging in killing its people. I mean, we're talking with Congressman John Katko. I just have a couple more questions for you, Congressman. I mean, it has been uh, a, a massive development on, on uh, Capitol Hill with regards to policy. Uh, you, sir, have, have really crafted yourself as, a, as a, a centrist and a moderate within the Republican Party. President Trump at CPAC uh, was said to, to outvote uh, you and other Republicans who supported his impeachment. Uh, and I just got to ask you if you have any response to that. Look, at, um, uh, he, he's entitled to uh, do what he wants and say what he wants. Uh, uh, I, the only thing I can tell you is I have a very good hand on the pulse of my, uh, the finger on the pulse of my district. I know it very well. Uh, the president lost my district by nine points. I won it by ten and a half. Um, so that's a pretty uh, substantial over, overperforming from him. And I know my district, and I know how my district feels, and um, I'm, com I'm confident that I can weather the storm. And final question for you: I, Have you been following this news on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo? So we'll go, we'll go, Congressman, from Trump no, to Cuomo. Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> the headline is: Cuomo steps out of spotlight as scandals put his future in doubt. You're a New Yorker. You just told me about your district. What are you hearing? I mean, should should Governor Cuomo resign? Well, if the allegations are proven true, absolutely. I have no doubt. To, uh, I have no doubt. I have no reason to doubt those those women. And if those allegations are true, he should be gone. But we need to let the investigation go. I hope it's a fair, a full and fair investigation. I hope it's not politically motivated to protect him. And uh, we need answers soon. Um, uh, he tended to acknowledge what was going on and saying he was just like a playful language or something like that, trying to downplay it. That's that's very troubling. And so um He's a, he's a governor of New York State, and he should be held to a very high standard. And if those allegations are true, he probably should be gone. There's no doubt about it. Um, let's not Congress. forget he has a whole nursing home scandal as well that he's dealing with that has spawned a criminal investigation. 
Congressman, that's what I, you know, that appreciate you coming on. You are really in the in the eye of the storm in New York State. So I very much appreciate your time, sir, to talk about especially what's going on in China. I don't think we talk about it enough. And I really appreciate you, sir, making the time for us. That's Congressman John Katko. He is a Republican representing New York's 24th Congressional District, the top Republican on the House Committee of Homeland Security. And I hope you'll come back on, especially as it relates to China. All right, let's reset here. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. I'm accompanied uh, by Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, also by Joe Crowley. He is a former Democratic uh, member of Congress representing a, a, a district in the state of New York. Uh, and he has also uh, been listening to these conversations. Joe, I mean, I know that you know uh, Governor Cuomo, and, and I'll, I'll ask the same question to you. Have you been following uh, the, the situation with Governor Cuomo, and what do you think his next steps should be politically? Sure, I've, I've been following it as much as anyone else has, certainly, uh, who pays attention at all to politics, uh, especially to my home state of New York. And, you know, as has been reported, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi has said she believes they're credible um, uh, sources, and it, it needs to be done sen in a sensitive way and uh, in a just way. Um, and I think the governor certainly has called upon that in terms of an independent investigation. It's now in the, uh, the hands of the attorney general's office. And I think she will move uh, uh, prodigiously and 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 and, and, uh, and, 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 and trying to find out what really happened here. It's uh, it, it's really remarkable, I think, uh, uh, Rick, just to see uh, the the political scandal really move toward New York, uh, especially just over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, when you look at these crisis management uh, activities, uh, you wonder. Uh, really how these folks are, are thinking through these problems, because we know what Joe just said, that the governor has now you know, put this in the hands of an independent uh, investigator at the attorney general's office. But like his first instinct was, oh, I've got a friend. He's going to do this investigation. We're going to keep it internal. And, and that created a superstorm on top of the storm that had already been created by the uh, by the disclosures. And so uh, it, no, it just defies logic sometimes that no matter how long you've been in politics, no matter how long you've served in government, your first instinct is always to sort of retreat inside the, the, the fence and, and shoot outside. And, uh, and I think that has actually exacerbated the problem that he's got. So so what in terms of as, as we move forward and let's pivot back to policy now and just, Rick, I want to get your insights into what we gleaned hearing from uh, from Congressman Katko uh, just a couple of minutes ago, especially on the U.S.-China front, because uh, as I alluded to this over uh, over the last couple of minutes, President Xi Jinping in China right now is doubling down on their positions as it relates to geopolitics and 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 digital infrastructure at a time in which the United States is doing the exact same thing. Just to put this in context, we have on this program really focused uh, domestically on the stimulus, uh, but but we cannot look at the at the massive amounts of money that the United States is talking about in a vacuum when China essentially is doing the exact same thing. Around, on the other side of the world. Yeah, I think it's uh, really been fantastic that you've focused as much of the program in the recent weeks on the China issue, because it really hasn't gotten that much airplay during the course of the uh, Trump administration. We heard about trade issues and, and the retaliation that the U.S. had toward trade uh, uh, practices by China. But we really didn't see a lot of focus on this. We had the Huawei issue that cropped up. 
uh, but it came and went almost as quickly. And so it is really fundamental. I mean, uh, the president has laid out a plan to try and secure the, the, the supply chain, uh, and, and not least of which is our technical, technical advantages that we have in manufacturing. And, and China isn't actually doing anything different. It's just we've now drawn a line in the sand and said we're just not going to allow you to steal our IP, to encroach in our systems, you know, to plant your your devices in our technology. And and I think we're finally finding a level place with China where it's like we're, we are actually going to compete against you. I would say part of what we hear about, and, and Congressman Katko uh, mentioned this quite a bit, uh, government needs to do X, Y, Z. Our, our primary advantage is our free enterprise system is the companies that have been pioneers in the technology need to step up and help the government through this process well to that point joe crowley i mean and 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 your understanding of not just uh the new york city landscape but also the washington landscape and how it interacts with to rick's point san francisco I mean, is there an ability for those three spheres to triangulate in order to make sure that they're on the same page when dealing with Beijing? Because as you know, Joe, and you and I have talked about this offline, for so many years, they just weren't on the same page. Well, I think, first of all, I think Rick would agree uh, that uh, although what John Katko said, Congressman Katko said was not new, it still is very sobering in the way in which he said it as well in terms of the threat that China uh, really, uh, uh, we as a country face in, in terms of China. Um, but I do think, um, as mentioned before, the, 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 what's happening in terms of genocide in that country, what's happened on human rights, at large, is not new. I can remember being back on the Foreign Affairs Committee 20 years ago. Chris Smith from New Jersey uh, was, uh, was, uh, was someone I, I interacted with quite often on many of these issues. Uh, and so, um, you know, this is something that uh, we, we, we know of their quest for a blue water Navy. We know that they're, they're, what, what they're doing in China, they're trying to expand beyond their borders and not just uh, on their, 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 their borders in Asia, well beyond that. We see the influence in Africa. We see the influence in other parts of the, in South America and other parts of the world. Their soft power. And we're not reacting, I don't think, as reciprocally, certainly as we should have been. I think the last four years was also... Uh, some time that was, that was lost in terms of pushing back against China. But I do think that will turn here. Both with Pelosi, who is no stranger to these causes, as well as Biden, I think, will also take a different approach. I want to ask this question to both of you in the, in the final few minutes that we have left uh, on this topic. I mean, Rick, uh, uh, the past few years for America in terms of its own personal reckoning with many issues, uh, including race, including gender, including income inequality, and a host of other different issues, has really uh, uh, forced Americans to look at our own country and the own issues, our own issues that we have uh, to be a more perfect union. Did we lose any of our ability to spotlight the genocide that is happening elsewhere in the world? You know, anytime you uh, have a situation where you have to look internally, it takes time away from the external. And, and, but we have been going through a cycle, uh, even all over the world, of trying to fix the problems we have at home. And, and, and our country isn't the only one there. But the good news is, it, by addressing those problems, you make your country stronger. The way China addresses those problems is they arrest people and they persecute people and they put them in jails and they have them uh, 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 killed. And, and that's, that's the fundamentals of what Congressman Katko was talking about. They've been performing 
genocide. And that ultimately makes their country weaker. And so as painful as the process is, the process we've been going through is going to make us a stronger country. And countries like China and Russia that quash dissidents is going to make them weaker in the long run. Go ahead, Joe. I couldn't agree more with Rick. I think he's uh, dead on. Uh, the reality is that China has been behaving in this way um, for forever, quite frankly, for the better part of 100 years. And so um, you know, I, I do agree with Rick as well. We have our issues here in the United States. Certainly over the last four years, it's shown a lot of the warts that we have as a nation. Uh, but at the same time, uh, genocide, you know, uh, not since the Native Americans and uh, certainly uh, what we did to the African-American population during slavery is not something we're really identified with as a nation, certainly in the 21st and 20th yeah. and 21st centuries. And so yeah. I do think um, that China itself uh, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to implode because of the positions they've taken, but not without a strong stance for the rest of the world. All right, coming up next, we talk domestic politics, President, former President Trump at CPAC. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Panel stays. This is Bloomberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and for Bloomberg Radio. Coming up, Norm Rule, former National Intelligence Manager for Iran and a former senior CIA official. We've got such a great political panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, and none other than former Congressman Joe Crowley is also with us. Uh, Joe is one of the go-to people, to be candid with you, uh, in in. Democratic politics, but he's also a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. And I got to say, these days, Joe, the competition, Bruce Springsteen has turned into the competition because he's got this Spotify thing with former President Barack Obama. So I am now direct, you and I, Joe Crowley, are in direct competition with the boss and Obama. There's no competition. Kevin, you sell yourself too short. I appreciate you know, you, that. You, know, you, you, Obama has nothing on you. Springsteen, on the other hand, has something on me. So <laughs> Listen, Joe, I don't want to get you in trouble, and I don't want to get me in trouble uh, either. But uh, let's just pivot to Rick Davis. Hey, Rick, did you follow CPAC over the weekend? Uh, can I talk about Springsteen instead? Go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> nah. if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I follow some of CPAC. I mean, it's always a uh, entertaining uh, distraction from politics in the United States to watch CPAC. And, uh, and this year was no exception. I mean, between the uh, folks who uh, uh, worship different kinds of uh, spiritual uh, 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 leaders and uh, President Trump bringing up the uh, – the end of the conference with his speech, uh, it was it was uh, no different, but a lot of the same from CPAC. Well, let's take a listen to some of this because we've got sound on this from former President Donald Trump, uh, which, of course, dominated all of the morning political tip sheets here in, in the Beltway where I am. Take a listen. Here's the sound on this from Trump. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Fake news. No. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Let's start a new party and let's divide our vote so that you can never win. So I made this point earlier to a colleague, but but Rick, I, I would love your analysis on this. I mean, from a political standpoint, it would be bad politics for anyone 
uh, uh, with that type of name recognition to not openly flirt with running for president because it would take him out of the equation for the midterms. It would take him out of the equation for being a kingmaker and really kind of just uh, allow him to cede the ground to the future of the party should he not say that he wants to run for president or is flirting with running for president. Yeah, I think this is sort of... uh Donald Trump 101. I mean, we remember back in 2015 when he was making his first real run uh, for president. He said, look, if I can't get the delegate selection process the way I want it, I may leave and run as an independent. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you can't do that. It's deja vu all over again. So now, you know, he set up the 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 process. I mean, it wasn't fake news that created the, the noise about him leaving the party. It was he and his advisors who went out and said yeah. he's so mad <laughs> at the Republican Party, he's going to leave it. And we continue to get played by former President Trump. Joe, I can hear you laughing. I take it that this is music to your ears and for the Democrats, uh, should Trump decide to run again? Well, I think the whole notion idea, as Rick said, that he wasn't thinking about creating a new party. It's just preposterous. Of course he was. And he was threatening it. He was ranting and raving about it as well. And it just is in line with what he's been saying all along, the lies he's been telling over the last four years and his whole entire life. But I do think it's, you know, really for the party, it's sad. That he's continuing to uh, to question the, the results of the elections, uh, the outcome of voter fraud in the United States. It's just utterly ridiculous, and it's not what the rank-and-file Republican members of Congress wanted to hear. This, they, they do not want to be defending this anymore. But Rick Davis, I mean, when you talk to your sources and, and you talk to Republican insiders, I mean, you, you've you said it on this program. I, I've talked with folks down in Florida who have suggested that he is fully intending to play uh, a kingmaker in the midterms, that he is fully going to uh, try to, to oust people like uh, Congressman Katko, uh, who we just spoke with. I mean, and, and people like Congressman Katko, I mean, maybe they're not saying it publicly, but behind the scenes are very concerned about being primaried from the Trump contingency of the Republican Party? Do they have the ability to, to, to fend off the political attacks that are coming their way in just a couple of months? Kevin, it's going to be hard. Uh, Congressman Katko is one of the, the 10 uh, congressmen, Republicans, who voted for Trump's impeachment in the House. And, and, and Trump has made no bones about the fact he announced it in uh, his speech at CPAC that he was going to go after him. And, and he will need to be prepared. There are other congressmen who also voted to impeach uh, Donald Trump, who like Adam Kinzinger, who have started supporting super PACs to try and build some financial capability to oppose Trump's attacks that he's going to bring down on those 10 um, uh, House members. So uh, this is the politics that we know. I mean, Donald Trump, I, I, I'm not sure I'd use the word kingmaker because what he wants to do is take people who are already in office, run primaries against them and beat them, which actually creates opportunities for Joe Crowley and his friends to try and steal a few That's districts right. that otherwise would be routinely Republican. Absolutely. Joe, Joe, I got to switching gears just quickly. Elizabeth Warren wants to, to raise taxes on the wealthy. The minimum wage debate no longer going to be in the stimulus in the Senate. There's a, is, is there a divide that is now exacerbated on the left? We've talked about the right, but on the left? Well, I, I think there has to be a reality check here as well. You only have a four-vote majority in the House. You have a 50-50 tie in the Senate. But what is really accomplishable is, is the question. And as we've seen right now, this bill, this package, this $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, is the first major bill of this presidency. And it needs to get through. It needs. It, Biden has to deliver for the American people. That's important. 
uh, we're going to have more opportunities to talk about the minimum wage and other progressive ideas and try to work ways to get them through, maybe even to reconciliation in the future. But right now, Job One is getting this bill through and signed by March 14th. Joe, what's your dog's name? We couldn't think of it in the, in the group chat. I know it's named after Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. That's the oh that it's that simple it's Bruce all right because I called Joe the other day to ask him to come on he was in the middle of, of running and walking the dog and I said Joe I didn't mean to interrupt the workout Joe Crowley thanks for coming on appreciate it Rick stays I'll stay too coming up next Norm Rule I'm Kevin Cerilli this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. Coming up tomorrow, a conversation with Senator Elizabeth Warren. Don't miss that. We pivot now back to geopolitics, uh, and we do so with Bloomberg Politics contributor uh, Rick Davis and Norm Rule. He is a former national intelligence manager for Iran and a former senior CIA uh, official. He specializes in all things uh, Middle East. Uh, uh, Norm, it's great to have you back on the program. I'm, I'm very appreciative uh, of your time. I Last week, President Biden took his first military action when he launched uh, a series of strikes against Syria. Uh, it was largely praised by Republicans and Democrats alike as being measured. Uh, and it was in relation to Iran's backing uh, and finagling, really, uh, with regards to some of the geopolitics in Syria. Uh, but regardless, uh, Iran has said that they are not going to really follow what President Biden has wanted to do, which is to restart nuclear disarmament talks. I've got sound on this from White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who spoke earlier today. Here's the sound on this from Jen Psaki on Iran. We're disappointed uh, in Iran's response. We remain ready to re-engage in meaningful diplomacy to achieve a mutual return to compliance with JCPOA commitments. Uh, Norm, you know, how have the U.S.-Iran relationship how has this administration already changed the approach well good evening kevin it's great to be with you the first thing is the biden administration sent a warning message to iran through this strike by conducting this strike in syria in response to an attack that took place in iraq the biden administration has been able to punish iran without destabilizing iraq the question is will iran take this message or will iran play chicken and just presume that they can continue to be aggressive and that we might cave eventually. Regarding the nuclear issue, Iran is trying to raise the ante through its aggressive behavior, hoping that to do so will encourage concessions from the United States and Europe. Thus far, that hasn't happened. But Iran has a ways to go before its uh, reserves run out, so it will attempt to uh, continue to uh, uh, play, the ha play hardball with the U.S. Let me just ask a, a follow-up on this. How long until Iran's reserves run out? Well, it depends on how they spend them, but Iran is estimated to have about $9 billion of accessible reserves. And that means they have additional reserves to bolster their banking system, which is about the second worst in the world, as well as their currency. <laughs> but this, this, this accessible reserve pool is what they use to buy raw materials to sustain their economy. Uh, depending on how they tighten belts and how they spend it, it could last a year, maybe, maybe two years. 
I should note that the Biden administration's apparent uh, uh, green light to the South uh, Korean government to provide some cash to Iran in order to release a captured South Korean ship could provide Iran with as much as $1 billion, possibly more, which would certainly expand the amount of money it has to sustain those uh, precious imports. All right, let's go to another part of the region, and that is Saudi Arabia. Uh, there was, of course, the Jamal Khashoggi report that was released at the end of last week. Uh, and the uh, Nick Wadhams reports on the Bloomberg Terminal, U.S. calls tougher Saudi stance a recalibration, not a rupture. Do you agree with that? Is, is this a, just a recalibration? And, and, and what, does the, what does this mean for U.S.-Saudi relations? Well, I think it is a recalibration. We've already seen the president reduce his uh, contact with the with the Saudi crown prince and transfer that contact to the king. That's that's traditional and formal. But there have been numerous contacts between our Secretary of Defense, State, as well as the national security staff with the Saudis uh, and the State Department with the Saudis, because we have important trade, energy, and regional issues we can't simply ignore, and we must continue to exploit the relationship with the Saudis for a mutual national security benefit. Hey, Norm, this is Rick Davis. Uh, thanks for being on. This is uh, really informative for our listeners. And, and I wonder if you could elaborate, too, a little bit on leadership, because I know that it's always kind of hard to figure out what's happening in the, in the, in the palace and, and, and what succession is like. And certainly MBS, I think, caught a lot of us by surprise when he was elevated. Uh, but um, a lot of politicians in Washington, and, and some including Lindsey Graham, have said, look, our relationship is with the country, not the individual. And, and how much of that is uh, really what Biden is defining in that um, uh, we want to work with a country and the people are ancillary to that? And secondly, is there any scenario that you can imagine where MBS uh, has so much pressure on him because of the Khashoggi affair that uh, he ultimately doesn't accede to the king? Great question. So let me work backwards. At this point, there is no evidence to indicate that Mohammed bin Salman's uh, hold on power and his likely ascension to be king of Saudi Arabia, a reign which may last as long as 50 years, is under any threat. Security services appear uh, loyal. The population appears to be behind him. And indeed, much of the population, which is very young, 70 percent under the age of 35, support everything he's doing to reform the country, as, as should we. This said, the Biden administration has made it clear there's a new sheriff in town. We're not going to have the same type of relations, and the Saudis must um, uh, conduct themselves according to a standard of international um, uh, uh, behavior, which we believe reasonable. And I think they will do so. I think they learned a profound lesson from the Khashoggi affair, and I, I personally believe they're unlikely to repeat this. Well, and, and I think people often forget, but it was a Democratic president who won over the Saudis and with FDR. And so and obviously that was, you know, more than 75 years ago, Norm. But, you know, this is a country that has really in recent years, whether it's through MBS and, and yes, not fast enough, but has tried to make gains uh, on, on women's issues and other uh, human rights issues. But do you think the Biden administration has an opportunity to continue to usher them into 2021, especially on the human rights abuse front? I do indeed. 
the Saudi government, uh, although this doesn't receive a lot of publicity, although you could read about it in, in the open press, has undertaken a number of human rights reforms to its legal system to remove the influence of hardline Islamic uh, clerics in its court system. It will take some time to do this, but they're moving their social structure exactly to the area where we would like them to go. It's a, becoming a modern society, and it's where the people of the country want to go, most importantly. So as you look in terms of the, the congressional avenues here, uh, just in the region, I mean, the last couple of years in the Trump administration, is, as you and I have talked about on this program, have been very uh, transformational in terms of the geopolitics of the Middle East in relation to the United States. What do you forecast uh, is, is going to be the common thread uh, for that particular region uh, over the next couple of years in the Biden administration? So the Biden administration is going to seek stability and quiet and to avoid any sort of conflict. And here the Saudis can play a profound role. For example, as we pull ourselves out of Afghanistan, we need someone to convince the Taliban to allow women to play their role in Afghan society. I think all of your listeners will agree that the people who rule Mecca and Medina will have a greater likelihood of being able to do that than the people who run Washington. It's there where we need societies to play their role, to push back on militancy, extremists, and to show that they can be part of the solutions of the next century. You know, Norm, I got to be honest, you're always the guest that Christine Barada, our executive producer, and I, we always say, we wish we had more time. We greatly appreciate you stopping by uh, Bloomberg Radio to talk about these important, important issues. Norm Rule, everybody. Uh, he, of course, is a senior U.S. intelligence, uh, former senior U.S. intelligence uh, official who has a great, deep understanding of the geopolitics in the region. I also uh, want to thank Rick Davis for spending, of course, the hour with us. Rick, we covered a lot of ground today. We've been around the world twice today. We've, <laughs> we've been around the world twice today. Uh, March is Women's History Month, and Bloomberg Radio is looking back at some of those who have played a vital role in American history. Here with today's installment is Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in women's history, in 1912, Isabella Goodwin is appointed the first female U.S. detective. She started in the New York City Police Department as a police matron overseeing female inmates and cleaning jail cells. But a bank heist made national headlines, and the police department asked Goodwin to step in. She posed as a maid and infiltrated a seedy boarding house. The information Goodwin found out led to the arrest of a gangster named Eddie the Boob Kinsley. The department rewarded Goodwin with a first-grade detective shield. If her story sounds familiar, you might have seen it on TV in the recent TV series The Alienist. Based on Caleb Carr's novel of the same name, Dakota Fanning plays Sarah Howard, who's based on Isabella Goodwin. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Coming up tomorrow, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Hey, Rick Davis, do you know the piece of legislation that she introduced with your former boss, John McCain? No. Which one is it? Did I stump Rick Davis? The Glass-Steagall. The reintroduction of Glass-Steagall. Yeah, we tried to talk him out of that, frankly. (laughs) I'm Kevin Cerilli. This is Bloomberg. (laughs) 